You have reached the dumb Christian. I am your host, Jonathan. All you interested in this ancient text called the Bible. We are going to explore Genesis chapters 35 and 36 as we encounter one of those stories where we think, why is this even in the Bible? What does this have to do with anything else going on in the overarching story that the Bible is trying to tell us? Uh, as we discover Jacob uh, goes on his journey to get his official name change, and then we read about all the kids that Esau has. But we're going to discover that it's there for a reason. The Bible's about to get very real. We might get a little bit colorful, so buckle up and welcome to Dumb Christian. Some quick housekeeping details before we get into Genesis 35 and 36. Be sure to check out TagCast. It's another podcast I'm working on with a friend from our home church um, where we explore issues through the lens of truth and grace. Uh, also, because we are done with John, we're going to double up our Monday and Wednesday episodes to finish up Genesis so that we can end this season strong. We will launch season two at the beginning of uh, the year 2023 sometime in January and I've received your feedback about what you guys would like to explore and learn about next and I'm processing how I'm going to pair up an Old Testament and New Testament book and we're going to get into that come January excuse me but here we go Genesis 35 and 36 Let's do a quick recap because there's some weird details in the story that if we're not flowing with the whole story, um, we might miss some of the details and things and nuances that are going on here. Um, and that's also a really important way to read the Bible. Again, 35, 36, read it for yourself. But it's easy to kind of read the Bible in episodes when it's really one long overarching story that has depth and beauty and meaning in the whole thing. Um, so quick recap for where we are right now. Jacob has returned home, but Jacob's growing clan and his community, his tribe, if you will, is becoming so big that he can't stay in the same location as his twin brother Esau because Esau's estate is also becoming massive and huge. And so they live near each other, but uh, not together because they, the land can't support the two massive communities at the same time in one location. So they're near each other, but not together. And while they are separated, Jacob's daughter Dinah is raped by a, an, a, a prince in, in Shechem. His name is Shechem, and he lives in Shechem. That's convenient. But Jacob doesn't do anything to defend his daughter's honor. His sons, Simeon and Levi, decimate all the males. He, they kill all the males in this town that were endorsing and encouraging this serial rapist. And they say, oh, we're not going to have any of that. They wipe out the town. Jacob is furious with them because now he's afraid these other tribes are going to want to kill us because we're taking matters into our own hands. We're the judges now. And uh, he's afraid that the other communities will rise up. But Simeon and Levi are saying, no, we're not, we're, we're not going to let this fly but because they killed all of the men of that community, they took away the source of protection provision for all these families. So the women and children then join Jacob's uh, growing clan, his tribe, which makes it even bigger. And so now Jacob has this blossoming community that just about doubled overnight He's afraid of what the surrounding communities are going to think and do as a re retaliation. Um, but 
something is happening within his family, his, this dynamic of this growing tribe. Because anytime you add, you just abruptly overnight add a large group of people from a particular culture into a very different culture, um, that they bring with them their practices and their habits, and it ends up infiltrating the community in which they've been assimilated. Not fully assimilated because they're right bringing with them their own habits and practices and cultures. And it's actually rubbing off on Jacob's family and all the people who have been with them. And so there's this actually growing um, practice of idol worship within the tribe of Jacob. And uh, Jacob isn't quite sure what to do about the idol worship, about the 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 murder and the, you know, the slaughter of this community, the men in this community and what's going to happen. And he's really on edge. And I don't know how long it's been since God has had a conversation with Jacob in, in the U S for Christians, there's tends to be this kind of idea that we're like actively proactively looking for and anticipating, even expecting that God is like going to regularly speak to us. He's going to say something. He's going to tell us what to do today, or he's going to tell us what job to have or, or what to do in our relationships and how to fix the problems and all these kinds of things. But we don't actually see that in scripture. In scripture, we see that God kind of ebbs and flows. He comes into the picture when he wants, there's something that needs to be shifted, a dynamic that needs to change, something he wants to do. But for the most part, he, he gives us, he gives people the, the, the free reign. I've spoken to you. I've given you my word. I've told you what I want you to do. Now it's up to you. And then every once in a while, he he wants to revive that, you know, that drive and that passion, that first vision. And this is one of those instances because there's this growing complacency or apathy, right? Jacob didn't do anything to protect his daughter. And, and, and then he didn't. And now he's not doing anything to like stand on what's valiant and true. He's he's living in fear. So God encounters him and speaks to him and says, Jacob, I'm not sure what's going on in your heart. I'm not sure what's going on in your family, in your community. But let's revisit that first encounter that you and I had. If you remember, the first time God appears to Jacob is when Jacob is on his way to Haran to go to Laban's family to go find a wife for himself. And he has a dream which we talked about Jacob's ladder. And that's where Jacob has his first conversation, his first encounter with God. And God meets Jacob here after all of this stuff is happening. And he says, let's go back there. Pack up everybody and let's go back to where it all began between you and I. So Jacob says, well, if we're going to go back to the house of God, because remember he built a pillar, called it Bethel, house of God. We can't take with us any of these pagan idols. So he calls everybody in the community, in the tribe, in the clan. Hey, give me all of your idols and any tools or jewelry or uh, accessories associated with idol worship. So everyone brings their idols and their gold and all this stuff that's associated with idol worship. And then it says that Jacob buries it under the terebinth. This is a weird detail that Moses, the, the author of Genesis, includes in this little anecdote, the story here. He says he buried all the idols and stuff under the terebinth. It's a weird detail. Why doesn't he just bury it? Why doesn't he just burn it? Why doesn't he just get rid of it? Moses wants us to know he buries it under 
the terebinth. This is a type of tree uh, or a bush. They're not quite exactly sure. It could be a tree or a very, very large bush. But what is the significance? Why? Why Why do we need to know? It's under the terebinth. And some scholars say... That this is the terebinth, the the place, the tree, the plant, large bush, whatever, where God met Abraham while Abraham was sojourning in the land. And so Jacob takes all these pagan items and buries them where God met his grandfather, where God really started this journey for them, kind of as an indication, a symbol that says, uh, we will have nothing to do with these. We surrender, we submit these to the God of Abraham, to Yahweh God. They are powerless underneath the God of Abraham. And then Jacob gets everyone, packs everyone up for his clan, his family, and this, really, it's probably fairly large, uh, you know, a town, a moving town at this point. And he packs everyone up, and they travel back to where he built that pillar and called it Bethel, where he had that Jacob's Ladder dream. They get back there. By the way, on this journey, somewhere along the way, Rachel gets pregnant again. And as far as we know, this is only the second time that she's been pregnant. Getting pregnant seems to be very difficult for her. It's not something that happens easily. And we're actually going to discover that this whole process for Rachel is, is fairly traumatic. But they make their way back to the pillar, Bethel. And the, the whole clan is there with tents and like, what's happening? What's going on? Jacob, I don't know. Jacob told us to come here. And so we're hanging out. I guess we're living here now. And they set up tents. I don't know how long they are there because the way that it's phrased is it sounds like God says, I want you to go live there. Okay, so they go set up tents and I guess they start to live there. And after some time, God appears to Jacob. I don't know if he only appears to Jacob or if everyone sees this encounter or or what it is. But God appears to Jacob finally. And he says, let's make everything official. Before I told you I was going to shift my covenant from your grandfather to your father and then to you, let's make that shift official. I am going to use you so you don't worship any other gods. I am it. We need to keep those pagan idols out. And I'm going to use you and your family to to create a unique society in the world. To establish something unlike anything else. All the ways that the world treats slaves, women, neighbors, poor people, rich people. You know, like, we're going to establish a society, a community that is unlike anything else. And I think maybe next season when we get into some other parts of the Old Testament, we, I'm hoping we'll actually really have to dive into what do we do with the fact that the Bible talks about slaves and women and and, and certain things in a way that offends us in our modern sensibilities. Uh, Because at that time, it was out of this world, unlike anything else going on in the world, the way that God had his people treat people was uh, with value beyond comprehension at that time, at least. Anyway, so he says, I'm going to use you to create uh, a society unlike anything else in the world. I'm also going to use your offspring to bless 
the entire world. This is foreshadowing of how God is going to bring about the Messiah through the descendants of Jacob and his kids. Also, let's make your name change official. Remember when he wrestled with God a couple chapters ago, um, the, the this guy that he wrestled with says, we're going to change your name to what? What was it? Do you guys remember? Yes, Israel, which means wrestles with God. And God here is saying, let's make that name change official. But then there's this weird thing that happens in the rest of the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament. Jacob is interchangeable. Like the Bible doesn't always refer to him as Israel from this point forward. Sometimes he's referred to as Jacob. Sometimes he's referred to as Israel. And the Jewish tradition suggests that whenever the Bible is referring to him or his descendants as the nation of Jacob, it's suggesting that he or his descendants, his offspring, are behaving in a way where they're trying to do things on their own merit, according to their own ideas of what's best, and it's not actually best. That's when they get referred to as Jacob. But when he or his descendants are operating in a way where they are following after God, chasing after God, doing what they're supposed to be doing, he and the nation that came from his kids are referred to as Israel. And so when you read Jacob or Israel, and you're like, well, which is it? That tends to be the sense of of why we hear and read both throughout the rest of the Old Testament. So God establishes this, establishes his covenant, changes his name and says, "Okay, on your bike, go back. Jacob's like, "Okay, guys, pack up. Let's go back. And they're heading back to Isaac. Isaac was too old to travel, and so he's back home. And Jacob and this whole moving city, this mobile town, is is heading back to where Isaac is. On their way, Rachel gives birth. And this is it's a terribly painful experience. It's a birthing process that actually results in Rachel's death. Yes, this birth of new life causes her death. Pregnancy and childbearing has not been nice to Rachel. This is only her second son, maybe only her second child. She's in pain, and this is not how birth is supposed to happen. And the midwives, the the you know, the women who are there to help the birthing process are like, this is bad. Well, when the baby is born, they hope they hope that, hey, this news that you have a baby boy. Is going to help bring some relief, reduce her stress, reduce Rachel's stress level, and hopefully she'll recover. She'll get better. But as it's it's that famous Star Wars scene at and the end of Revenge of the Sith, where uh, the mom is in her dying breath, she speaks the name of her child. His name will be Luke Skywalker. No, she says as she's dying, she with her last breath, she says his name shall be. Ben-Oni. In Hebrew, Ben means son of. And so she names him Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. I gave birth. I wanted wanted joy. I, I was hoping for something greater than this, but this is too much to bear. He is a son of my sorrow. And then she dies. As is Jewish custom, uh, the father was not present during the birthing process because it's a very sacred experience. Jacob 
enters and they say, she named him Ben-Oni, son of my sorrow. And, and remember, God just renewed his covenant with Jacob, just like he had done with Abraham, just like he had done with Isaac. And when he had re- renewed and revisited those covenants with Abraham and Isaac, they were given sons. And so it's very easy to see that Jacob might actually view this son as part of that specific promise that God was saying, I'm going to bless you through the nations, through your offspring. And here, sure enough, here he has another son. And he's like, no, we're not going to name him son of my sorrow. We're going to name him Ben Jamin, son of rock and roll. No, no, no. Ben Benjamin means son of my right hand which is an indication of power and authority and promise, right? Leadership, uh, just like a king sitting at the king's right hand, a position of power, leadership, authority. Benjamin, his name will be Benjamin. And then Rachel is buried on their way back to home, on the way back to Isaac. Jacob now has 12 sons, which will become the 12 tribes that God is going to use to establish a nation. And Reuben, Jacob's oldest son, I don't know how old he is, 20s, 30s, 40s, the the Bible doesn't really give us, but there is something going on with Reuben and he is really wrestling with these raging hormones inside of him. And he has seen how his dad responds to sexual perversion when he didn't do anything when Dinah, his daughter, Reuben's sister, was raped and then really taken captive, forced to be uh, Shechem's wife. And this attitude has permeated throughout the, the family, at least, if not the whole tribe that is following after Jacob. And his son sees, well, this is how dad feels about sexual perversion, so it must be okay. And he ends up goes and having sex with uh, Bilha. Let me check here. Yes, Bilha, which was Rachel's maidservant. Jacob had several children with Bilha and now Reuben goes because he's got the hots for dad's concubine and he goes and has sex with Bilha and it says Jacob didn't do shit about it he didn't do anything it's not that it's endorsing it it's just this is the reality of what happened and they get back in this growing dysfunctional family and they get back to Isaac He's 180 now, and he dies. In this journey, Jacob loses Rachel, the wife he really loved, and his dad, all in this process of trying to figure out, how do I follow God? How do I live in a way that honors God while the world around me is falling apart? My family, my own family is dysfunctional, and there's this like disrespect and sexual perversion and death and we can't have kids properly. And there's all this frustrating, like overwhelming perspective. What do I do with this? How do I walk in all of this while God is trying to do something in my life? And it's not easy. Isaac dies. And then it says, Jacob and Esau both bury their father. Uh, in the cave of Machpelah, where Abraham was buried, Isaac's father. And it says that Jacob and Esau both buried their father. 
Midrash tells us that Esau is still a bit bitter about losing all his inheritance as the firstborn and his birthright and all this stuff. And he really wants to be buried with their dad. He wants to be the one who gets to be buried with their dad. Not everyone gets to. Only the patriarch of the family gets to. And Esau wants that right. But we won't find out how this is handled until later at the very last chapter of Genesis, which um, I think we'll revisit when uh, Jacob dies. Anyway, so they they bury their father, and then we get to Genesis chapter 36, and this whole chapter is a weird lineage of Esau. All of Esau's kids, their kids, and their kids' kids down the line, and this chapter, especially as you read the rest of Genesis, and you're like, why is this even in here? This has nothing to do with the rest of the story. Why do we need to know this? Well, what the author is doing is he's actually laying the groundwork, setting the stage for the next book, Exodus, because what they're going to encounter when they leave Egypt, leave are freed from slavery in Egypt, spoiler, they go back to the land of Canaan and God says, I want you to clear out all the inhabitants of the land of Canaan because they worship false gods. They worship idols. They detest Yahweh God, they disrespect, they spit in his face, and God is trying to establish a new uh, a new culture. Well, what's really interesting is that as you read Esau's descendants, you can go back to some of Noah's kids' descendants, and Moses is setting the stage. He's like, look, these are the clans that are inhabiting Canaan when the Israelites are going to go back to Canaan in the book of Exodus. And we can see that God, these these tribes who worship pagan gods, who worship false idols, originally came from and descended from the people that God was calling out of the world. And he originally wanted to use them to establish this new incredible society where people were treated differently. God was worshiped and honored. And yet they rejected it and they reverted away from God and his good purposes to create kind of their own cultures, their own ideas of what they want to uh, cultivate and come and accomplish in, in the world. And, and they can't, they're not just like these random tribes that are living in Canaan. They are meant to have been God's people and they rejected it. And so God's like, okay, well, these people who were supposed to be mine, we need to clear them out so that we can establish this land of Canaan as the nation of Israel. There's also a few people mentioned in this lineage who are referenced much later at the end of the Old Testament when some of the prophets say um, are like uh, challenging the nation of Israel when they're starting to reject God and they're starting to worship God pagan gods. And some of those prophets say, you're like a whole Obama. You're like some of these uh, people listed here in Esau's lineage because you've rejected the God who has saved you and delivered you. And that is Genesis chapters 35 and 36, where God establishes officially his covenant with Jacob, changes his name to Israel. And then we get a long list of what's going on in the land of Canaan during the rest of Genesis and the first part of Exodus. I love you guys. I'll catch you later.
Sometimes when we read the Bible, we don't necessarily know why the story is included or what's going on or what it's setting the stage for later. And that, I think, is the case here as we explore Genesis 35 and 36. Be sure to check us out on YouTube, Dumb Christian Podcast. We have exclusive content dropping up there. Hit subscribe, ring that bell so you know when new content is dropping. I love you guys. I'll catch you later. Oh.